Greetings and welcome to episode 19 of the Chirping the Cats podcast. I'm your host, David's work, and uh, I hope that everybody listening is staying home and staying safe as, as we're all navigating through the uh, COVID-19 pandemic together. On this episode of the podcast, I thought it would be fun to discuss some Florida Panthers history with a few people who have either covered it or closely followed it here in South Florida throughout the course of the franchise. So joining me to chat about some of our favorite Panthers players are longtime South Florida sports reporter, now working uh, in the FAU, Florida Atlantic University Athletic Department, Frank Fort, also uh, former Florida Panthers radio network anchor Kevin Rogers, and local 10 reporter and avid Panthers follow Ian Margle. Gentlemen, thank you all for joining me today for what I really think will be a fun trip down memory lane for ourselves and, and anybody listening. Um, so thank you all for being here. And to get us started, uh, Frank, I was thinking you know, you were covering the team when really it was a baby franchise, but that was the golden years, I guess. That was the only good times that we've really had consistently. So like, what's your, what's your most fond memory when you think of like those mid nineties teams? Well, first of all, David, thanks for inviting me to do this. Uh, I'll start off by saying two things. Number one, 1993, I think it was January if memory serves. Um, and you got to remember that this was the time before Twitter before smartphones, all that kind of thing. We'd been hearing rumblings of Anaheim getting an expansion franchise, but Wayne Heisinger and his group did an amazing job of keeping the secret that they were trying to get an NHL franchise. There was zero buzz about a team coming to Florida. And one day somebody shouted across the newsroom to me in the sports office at Channel 10, hey, we got a hockey team. And I remember my reaction being, what the F are you talking about? And as it turns out, Wayne Heisinger was awarded a team. And six to seven months later, they were on the ice playing. That's how quickly it came together. But nobody had a clue that we were in the running in South Florida for a hockey team. The second memory on equal par with that is sitting at game seven of the 1996 playoffs against Pittsburgh in the Eastern Finals. I was sitting next to Craig Minervini, who of course still hosts the, the Panther pre and post games on Fox Sports Florida. He was working for Channel 6 at the time. And there was about less than a minute left in the game and the Panthers were up three to one. They had just scored the, the clinching goal. And we looked at each other and I said, we said to each other almost synchronously, can you believe we're going to the Stanley Cup Finals? It was, it was surreal. It was be, and, again, and this was the third year of the team. No expansion team had ever gone that quickly other than when the league went from the original six to 12. And the St. Louis Blues, obviously, they had split in divisions with the original six and the new six. And so a team, the St. Louis Blues, went to the final that year. But, but what the, that team did in three years was remarkable. And just the realization that I was going to go cover and witness a Stanley Cup final was amazing. It's crazy to think about when you talk about like in January of that year, that first year, they didn't even, nothing was for sure. And they slapped the franchise together and they were playing, you know, six, seven months later when nowadays they're, you know, it takes two, three years to get a team off the ground and go through all the, the expansion draft protocols. And it's crazy to think that it was slapped together that quickly. Yeah. Um, Bill Torrey and Bobby Clark and that, that whole group did a remarkable job of putting a team together, securing facilities, the practice facility in Lighthouse Point, you know, designing uniforms. I mean, it, it was, everything was fast-tracked. It was incredible. 
Kevin, when you were growing up, you actually went to a lot of those Panthers games. And I believe you, you told me that you were at like basically every game in the 96 playoffs. So what was your perspective from that time? You know, it's funny, David, is when, you know, growing up in Miami, you don't follow hockey. It just doesn't happen. And we had the Dolphins for a long time. We had just had the heat. The Marlins came in in 93. And all of a sudden you have a hockey team here. And my father grew up in New England, so he followed the Bruins with Bobby Orr back in the 60s, and he knew about hockey. But I had followed a little bit, but I couldn't tell you any of the players, honestly, you know, when they were uh, selecting the expansion draft, just because I'd never followed the NHL. But then when we went, it was just so much fun, and you weren't worried about them winning. And then, like Frank said, all of a sudden in three years, they're now in the Stanley Cup final. And I went to all those games – I apologize for the, uh, the sirens behind me. I went to all the games. My father got tickets in the upper deck of the Miami Arena. And we went to see the Bruins, games one, two, and five. Billy Lindsay goal tripped up by Ray Bork. It was awesome. Then games one, two – no, excuse me, games uh, – what was it in the Philly series? Whatever it was, the, the three games in the Philly series. And it was then three, four, the and six, series, wasn't it? Which was – Say it again. Wasn't it uh, three, four, and six against Philly? Yeah, it was three, four, and six against Philly. And that was the Legion of Doom. That was Lindros and LeClaire and Michael Renberg. And after they beat Boston in the first round, you're thinking they're not going to beat Philadelphia. It's not going to happen. They're losing the Flyers. Oh, they beat the Flyers. Then they're facing Pittsburgh. Oh, they have Mario Lemieux and Yarmir Yager. There's no chance. There's no shot. I think the two of them had one goal in that series, if I'm not mistaken. And you know, when Frank talked about that game seven up in Pittsburgh, just watching that, you're hoping, okay, maybe they win. It's cool. If not, whatever. They got to the Eastern Conference Finals game seven. They had the Tom Fitzgerald goal from center ice. And it was just an unbelievable feeling. And I went to game three against Colorado. We ended up selling the tickets for game four and, like, made all of our money back. And that was, of course, the one nothing Juve Krupp game that went to triple overtime. But it was just so cool, and they were such an underdog team, that 96 team, that it almost felt to me that it was almost more fun rooting for them than, and, and maybe I'm, I'm off on this one, than rooting for the big three when they were here with LeBron, Wade, and Bosch, because they were supposed to win. I feel like that Panthers team, oh, they got through one round, it's fine. But for them to go to the Stanley Cup final, you couldn't help but root for them because they were an underdog. Yeah, and, and you think back to that Pittsburgh series especially because that was supposed to be their year. Like, they were locked and loaded. Mario was back at, at full strength. Yager was just entering his prime. Uh, that, that was a crazy – just beating Philly and Pittsburgh were just two crazy things that they did that year. Uh, Ian, I want to bring you in. Um, obviously, I know you're a little young for, uh, for the original Panthers years, but I'm curious, uh, being as you're such an avid follower of the team now, and, and I know you know your history, but when you think about, like, growing up with the Panthers, what are your memories? So, yeah, I mean, in 96, I was five. So, yeah, you know, very, 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 very uh, loose memories of that. But, you know, I actually went a different – when you sort of brought this up to me and you brought up this podcast today, uh, the first thing that popped into my head was actually it's, – it's more of a funny story. Um, it was 2003. Brad Ferentz had just gotten into a fight, uh, and he got his butt absolutely kicked. I mean, bleeding from the face, from several – I mean, and he needed to go back to the locker room. And we had season tickets. This was uh, – we had season tickets 
like nine, 10 rows behind the bench. And so we were also right next to the tunnel where the players came in and out of. And, and David, I think you know this story. I think I told you this before, but Brad Ference is pissed off. He's banging his stick against the walls and it, it, we're all leaning over watching him go in and he bangs his stick against the wall and he goes inside. And I go to turn around after leaning over to bar, the bars to watch. But Brad comes back out and he swings his stick one more time against the wall, except he missed. And it came through the bars and it hit me in the knee. Now I'm 12 at this time. And so it probably hurt a little bit, but I don't think it hurt that badly. But it sort of shocked me. And I wasn't crying, but I turned around and I looked at my dad and he said, what just happened? And I said, uh, he hit me in the knee. And there was a guy that uh, used to work security in the tunnel. I don't even remember his name, but everybody used to call him Slim. Uh, and you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and, yeah, I remember uh, Slim. Slim disappears, comes back with a stick signed by Brad Ferentz. And he goes, he says, sorry. And he hands me the stick. Brad, <laughs> Brad never came out. He never apologized. But Slim get, so I think that was, um, it's sort of the memory that's always made me laugh about that. But, you know, for me, I, I grew up in Pembroke Pines until I was six. And then I moved uh, to Cooper City when I was, when I was six. And I remember we, we were fans of the Panthers when I was little. But when I turned six, when we moved to this neighborhood in Cooper City, everyone on my block, they were hockey fans. And we had a cul-de-sac on the end of the block. And that's when I learned about the game. That's when I learned to play uh, in, what was it? When did Trevor kid? 99. So it was 99 when I, when I strapped on goalie pads for the first time because I pretended I was Trevor kid. I, I could never grow the little blonde beard that he had but uh you know for me it's um I was young when when they had success the most recent success they had was what 2012 when they lost in double overtime 2016 Trocek was tripped come on man okay but let's yes but I think the 2012 team might have been uh more exciting to me in that I mean the double overtime against New Jersey I was in college I remember standing on my sofa watching double overtime and just being heartbroken uh when they scored or when devil scored early in double overtime so for me it's uh it's sort of the later stuff and getting to work for the panthers when i was younger too was a lot of fun so uh you know i don't i don't have the the winning the winning memories unfortunately well if you do that's all right we're both alumnus of the ice crew at panther games aren't we Uh uh-huh no, thinking back to that 2012 team and to Kevin's point earlier about the whole underdog element, um, that 2012 team, nobody thought it was supposed to be like that. They like talent came in and literally had to spend up to the salary cap floor just to put that team together. And then they go out and Jose Theodore has this ridiculous throwback year to his Montreal days. And you've got guys like Sean Bergenheim and like Brian Campbell was like the veteran leader of that team. It was fun, but yeah, I mean, nobody expected that team to do well. And then, you know, to take the to take the Devils to a seventh game, double overtime. Like I remember leaving the arena that game after after it was over, and I was like smiling, like just to have experienced a seven game series, a double overtime game, like in my home arena. Uh, it, it was unreal. Yeah, the the thing that that stood out about that series to me was you hear it all the time from the media north of the border about how hockey doesn't work down here or can't work down here. 
And I remember that game seven, one, how packed it was, and two, how almost to a person, everybody in the building was on their feet for the entire overtime. They, they didn't sit down. Everybody was stood up waiting. You wait for a game seven overtime in that game winner, and you're ready to just explode in emotion. And just the energy in the building that night is something that I always point to and say, look, we, we, we all know that regular season attendance isn't what it is in, in a lot of places. But when the team, as, as with almost any team in South Florida, when, it, when it's successful, when you're in a playoff situation, people will come out because it's a happening. And I remember that game seven looking around just going, wow, this is an incredible atmosphere. And I don't think people in Canada would, would believe that we could pull that off. Yeah, that, I've always like kind of referenced that game seven when, when Marcel Gotch scored the goal to tie it late in the third. That was maybe the best, like for me personally, hockey experience. The, just the feeling, the, the sound had feel in that building, which is, is not anything that we're used to. And like, I know like, I go exactly back in my memory to what you're talking about, Frank. It, it was a really cool night. Now, transitioning a little bit to uh, kind of what I wanted to discuss with you guys is like our favorite Panthers players from over the years. Um, not necessarily the best, just anybody that you've feel, felt a connection to for whatever reason. And so, uh, Kevin, do uh, you want to you lead us off and give us one of your guys? Honestly, it, that 96 team was probably my favorite team ever it's not much of a panther team ever favorite sports team to follow ever because like i mentioned the underdog ray shepherd had that goal against the flyers at the spectrum in i think it was game five and double overtime uh you know he was a nice pickup for them obviously because i mean i worked with him and he had the big goal you know on the radio for a long time it was billy Lindsay. you know he had a, a nice NHL career, and he's always going to be known with the Panthers for that goal he scored against the Bruins in the first round. You know, obviously, Van Beesbrook, you know, was somebody that, uh, you know, was huge. I mean, the guy was on the cover of uh, NHL 97, I think, uh, I believe. So, I mean, that's a big honor. But, uh, you know, a lot of those guys, Stu Barnes was another one. Um, I don't really want to take away from the guys now as far as the current Panthers. I think the guy who has made such a transition, I'm saying from boy to man, has been Jonathan Huberdeau. That I remember when he was drafted, that, and look, again, you're drafted at 18 or 19, you're going to look like an 18 or 19-year-old. And over the years, he just he's become like a man. And the improvements he has made, he, he got over that injury he suffered in the preseason a few years ago. He's been tremendous. Obviously, Barkoff is a joy to watch. Luongo is always going to be on that list because of, of what he has done for the franchise. But that probably is my short kind of list of uh, favorite Panthers ever. For me, uh, the goalies litter my list, obviously, because I played goal. And I'm like, Ian, I, I know it, it's probably the same for you. Am I right? Absolutely. I, uh, I already mentioned Trevor Kidd, um, which I feel like that was the guy that when I when I really started getting into hockey, when I was, you know, that was the guy that I really, really enjoyed watching. I remember meeting John Van Beesbrook when I was younger, and I vividly remember that his son is also named Ian, and I'll have never forgotten that, because that was the only thing, oh, your name's Ian, my son's name's Ian. Uh, you know, and then if you want to look at some of the other guys that are, that are here today, I mean, Watching Aaron Ekblad grow up uh, has been really, really cool. And seeing the player that he's turned into 
but also seeing how he has handled what was what looked to be a skyrocketing career and then tapered off a little bit and really has taken that turn again uh, this past season, I think. Um, one of the guys that I, I, you know, again, from the non-goalie perspective, I remember the day Stephen Weiss was drafted. Uh, it was, I mean, it was in South, that was the South Florida draft. And my family and I, we had gone to, uh, I believe it's Dave and Buster's that's at Sawgrass, or maybe it's not there anymore, but we had gone to Dave and Buster's that night. And I guess the idea was, all right, we got this, this kid we just drafted. Let's bring him over to the mall across the street to in, introduce him to some people. Maybe we can get some fans over. And us being actual Panthers fans, seeing Stephen Weiss wearing his, you know, number one jersey from the number one, you know, from the first round draft pick. Uh, that was really cool to see him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in terms of the, the guys from today, like Kevin said, I mean, Huberto is just an absolute joy to watch. Uh, I know, you know, he just got traded, but Trocek was such an amazing guy on and off the ice, still is an amazing guy on and off the ice. And to see everything he did for the franchise and how much he meant to that locker room was really, really cool. Um, but, yeah, that's that's uh, Barkov Ruby. It's no-brainer. From a perspective, Frank, of – covering the team like you, you you got to know some of these guys so it's not necessarily like they're on ice attributes that endears right. you to them but more in some cases just kind of who they are off the ice yeah that's that was uh not only covering the team when I was at Channel 10 but then moving to Fox Sports Florida and getting to host and or produce the Inside the Panther shows I got to go to a lot of the NHL combines and and drafts and Dale Talon was good enough to let me in on some of the meetings that they had with some of these kids, guys that they thought they would draft. And I'll tell you a couple quick stories once I go through my quick list. But, you know, going to their hometowns, meeting their families, that's been uh, a real joyful part of what I was able to do in my time at Fox Sports Florida. Going back to the, to the old days, uh, some of my favorite Panthers were, were Scott Mellenby, just because he was such a good power forward for that era. Uh, and again, these are all really good guys. Like I see Mel's uh, occasionally comes to a game because he's working, I believe, for Montreal right now. Gordon Murphy was another one, super guy, good player. Um, you know, the, the modern guys, Huberdeau, again, he's one of those guys. I got to visit his hometown in St. Jerome, Quebec. And when he was playing the, the last lockout, uh, we were planning a couple of shows for if and when they came back. So I went up to St. John in the Maritimes when he was with the Sea Dogs playing his final year there waiting for the lockout to end. So I got to meet him as an 18-year-old and, and interview him up there in the junior hockey environment. And to see his growth, I'm with you there on those guys. Uh, I was in on Barkoff's meeting at the 2013 draft uh, when, you know, Dale Talon and the, the scouting staff were interviewing him. And to see him grow as a person in personality in fact, one of, the, one of the scouts, after they had interviewed Barkoff the day before the draft, raised a question of, well, well, you know, he doesn't really have much personality. And the scouting director at the time, Scott Luce, said, guys, let's remember, he's answering us in his third language. It's, it's Finnish, Russian, and then English. And he said he answered everything we asked him. He didn't duck anything. He's just not totally comfortable with the language at this point. Uh, so those are, those are just a couple of the guys that uh, throughout the years I really enjoyed covering. Uh, Stephen Weiss was another good one. Um, 
I'll give you another one I really enjoyed. And I, again, he's still in the area is Radic Dvorak. And to see him grow from a guy who, you know, barely spoke a word of English into the career he had in the National Hockey League, like 1,200 games, I think it was, uh, you know, was, was just amazing and, and really a super guy. And one more name I'm going to put out there. And he didn't have much personality. He was a real quiet guy. But I think, and George Richards did this last year with input, I think, from a lot of us, did his all-time Panther team, one goalie, two defensemen, three forwards. And this guy made the team, and, and I pushed a lot for it because I think he's the most underrated Panther in history, in team history, and that's Robert Spala because he was a horse. He played big minutes. He rarely, if ever, missed a game. Uh, played a lot on the power play. And if you look at the Panthers' list for scoring by defensemen, he's still on the top five in a lot of those. So uh, that's one of my all-time Panthers. Real quick story about Ekblad. Ian mentioned how he's grown. Uh, the Panthers had the number one pick that year. And Dale was, he was a little nervous about letting me in the meetings at the draft. So he let us do some at the combine that year. And so they brought Aaron Ekblad in. And this is just to show you, you know, Ekblad had a lot of media attention in Canada because he was a, you know, special exempt player to play in juniors at 15. So they bring Ekblad into the room and, and we're shooting it. Now you've used this in about four or five different uh, inside the Panther shows. But at one point, Dale looked at him and said, well, what do you know about our team, the way it's constructed right now? And Ekblad says, well, I know your team pretty well. Really? Dale said, well, what do you think we need with the first pick? And without missing a beat, Ekblad said, right-handed defenseman. <laughs> so... That was that was a favorite story of mine. That's cool that they you got that kind of access. Um, yeah. One thing that like nobody's really brought up is, throughout this, as we've kind of uh, navigated through some of our better memories, is kind of the the dark ages of Panthers history. And there's always one name that pops off uh, for me when I think about those years. And really, the only reason when the Panthers were so terrible, and I'm, I'm you know talking about the the 2000s decade, um, the one guy that just always stands out to me. Uh, is Ole Okunen, who maybe one of the very best players this franchise has ever seen, uh, never really got to go to the playoffs. I think I think he told me uh, like once in his career he went and he didn't even get to play. Um, but I mean, really, when you think about those, some of those years were bad, and Ole was still putting up like forty goals, eighty, ninety points. Like, and what there there wasn't much exciting to to watch those games, whether I was covering them for for radio or going to them with my dad. It was just. Uh, it, it was rough. Ian, I, I know you went to a lot of those games too. So, uh, you know, other than Ole, like there wasn't much to be excited about. Your interview you just did with him was really awesome. And to get that uh, you did recently with him to get sort of that look at what he was dealing with when he came to the Panthers and to see the coaching push that he needed. It was, I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah. The, some interesting stories from that time to be sure. Cause you remember Ole came over, I believe in the Luongo trade, which was 99 and Correct. he was here for, for a good decade on that. And actually, going back to that era, another name I wanted to throw at you guys. Uh, I think he only played for the Panthers for like two plus years. But uh, they recently re-showed a game that he played in uh, on, on one of the, uh, the Rewind Classic things that Fox Sports is doing. But during his time here, <laughs> Pavel Bure was pretty ridiculous. Like, yeah, have we ever had a play, a player that exciting? Like, we never had a superstar like that in our team history. Am I right? Well, you've had a superstar like him in in Yager, but Yager was at the end of his career. Pavel was in his prime, but there's never been a more exciting player 
to put on a Panther uniform than Pavel Bure. And you're right about Ole. Ole is also underrated simply because he was the ultimate, you know, run into the bang your head against the wall player and no results for the team. I mean, he did his part. He just didn't have the team around him. So, uh, you know, he, he would always run into that wall for you and try to run through it, but he didn't have anybody behind him pushing him. You know, a, a funny stat that I, that I saw about Bure before we jump, move on. Um, you know, he, it's not super surprising that he would still lead the Panthers franchise in hat tricks, but I think he's first with 10 and the next closest guy is with four. Uh, maybe Ole. But it's kind of wow. ridiculous that he was here for such a short amount of time and he got 10 hat tricks, which is a, I mean, God only knows when that record would be broken with this team. Because even the guys that we have right now, nobody's scoring hat tricks. It's like the Huberto's, uh, his Achilles heel is trying to get a hat trick, right? Uh, should we talk about Achilles when we're talking about Huberto? I feel like yeah. that's a low blow. Actually, you know, it's funny. My brother uh, grew up playing hockey as well. And my brother, uh, when, when Burry was playing for the Panthers, of course, every little kid wanted to be number 10. And so my brother being the smart one chose number 96, which is the number that Burry played at the Canucks. He wanted to be number 96 from the beginning. GM wouldn't let him. So he got number 10, made number 10 look really, really good. And then eventually got to be number 96. And my brother was 96 through his entire life because of Pavel Burry, but also because he just didn't want to go for number 10 because every other kid wanted number 10, just because, I mean, he was so exciting. Sign of the times, right? Now everybody wants number 11 or number 16 that's growing up. Absolutely. You know who's another guy that doesn't get enough credit and who's still with the team is, uh, you know, Sean Thornton, I think is such a, such a personality. I mean, on and off the ice. I got a chance to interview him uh, about probably a year and a half, two years ago now. And I had, I had broken my hand and I uh, just gotten a cast off. So I was in a brace and I'm inter- Sean walks into the interview uh, and, you know, he goes to shake my hand, sees I have a brace on. He said, what'd you do? And I told him how I, you know, where I'd broken it, how I'd broken it. And he goes, oh, so a boxer's fracture. And I said, yeah, pretty much a boxer's fracture. He goes, I called that Tuesday. <laughs> he goes, you never saw me in a cast. I was like, well, and his fists were the size of my hand, but he's such an, he's such a nice guy. He's a smart guy. And he's learned even since leaving the league in terms of being, you know, in terms of playing on the ice, I think seeing how quickly he's picked up what he does in the front office and, and how good of a job he's done in the front office has been really cool to see. You know, what's interesting guys is in my experience, the, the, the so-called enforcers in Panther history have been some of the most engaging guys and, and smart guys that you would go in all the way back to Paul Laws. I, I wouldn't call him a Rhodes Scholar, but he was extremely engaging. George Paros, who was with the team for a short time, now works in NHL player safety, which is so incongruous to me. But he was a, I mean, he was a really smart guy. And it's funny how the enforcers a lot of times are really some of the most engaging uh, conversationalists you could ever run into. Yeah, and even like look at Peter Worrell and what he's been up to since his career ended. Not only is he like a very personable guy if you've met him, but he's I think he's now he's coaching. He's been coaching hockey for a while, and he's he's starting to move up the the local ranks in that area too. He was with North Broward for a long time. Yeah, very cool. Um, David, question is is I don't want to start a sports radio topic, but is Pavel Bure <laughs> the best South Florida sports athlete that never? No, I'm not saying about Marino because Marino's been to the Super Bowl and AFC Championship, but best athlete for a South Florida team that 
never went to the playoffs? But he did go to the playoffs. They remember okay, they got, okay, they got swept no. by the Devils. Okay, no. let me rephrase that. Then let me let me change it. Then that was on a team that just never did anything. Like the best talent ever, because Marino at least went to the AFC Championship a few times. Is that fair yeah, to that... say? Yeah, maybe. I, I'm yeah. I'm trying to quickly scan through. I mean, you know, Mike no, Piazza was Mike amazing, Piazza. and don't his Marlins team never went anywhere. Don't say Mike Piazza. <laughs> he doesn't count. No, he doesn't. I agree. Um, no, I mean, Panther-wise, when Burray was with the team, like, like Frank said, he was like in his prime. That was maybe the best he ever looked were those two years he was with the Panthers when he was scoring like 50 goals. And uh, yeah, it's a shame that, that they couldn't do anything with that. Uh, I'm sure I'm going through like over the years. I mean, Thomas Vokun for the Panthers, he was an amazing goaltender, went to an all-star game, never got to go to the playoffs with the team. Um... Anybody, I mean, Jason Taylor, you think of the Dolphins. I mean, the back end of his career was kind of wasteland other than his sacks. So yeah, it's an he, interesting topic. He was, he was in, Jason was in a bunch of playoff games, or several at least. Well, early in his career. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I, I'm hard-pressed to think of anybody other than Bure who was in that category where, you know, like you said, they got they got swept in the one playoff series that just didn't really do anything beyond the regular season. I'm hard-pressed to think of anybody else in, in South Florida. Yeah. Because you, you look at the Heat, obviously the best players are LeBron, Wade, Shaq, Bosh, and Kevin Edwards. So <laughs> so you're all set. So it's fine. No Ronnie Cycli? Or Ronnie. Hey, Ronnie Cycli, I was at the game. He had 35 rebounds. That was a, he, had, he had a nice little career. Oh, hey, guys, speaking of David and, and Ian, you know, you're, you're big goalie guys, and – I never played hockey goalie. I, I strapped the pads on like twice for, for stories, and, uh, but I was a soccer goalie. I'm shocked that neither of you mentioned among your pantheon of Panther goaltenders, Mikhail Stolenkov. So I'm, I'm shocked at that. Well, what stands out to you about Stolenkov that we missed? I do remember him playing for the team briefly. He played one year. He's the only athlete I've ever – or only goalie I've ever known that said, I don't want to be the starting goalie. <laughs> I like being the backup. Well, that, I mean, is that the winning attitude? Yeah. Well, that may That's be why he only lasted one season. Another goalie that uh, was only on the Panthers for one season but left quite a, uh, quite a mark on the team was Ed Belfour. We were all following the team pretty closely during his year. And the first thing I think of when I think of Eddie Belfour's year with the Panthers, uh, Frank, is the, uh, the swan dives across the ice in the game against Carolina when the refs weren't calling anything and he just snapped. Yeah, he, he snapped and he's – you know, he accentuated, oh, they're diving, they're diving. He, you know, there's, there's very few guys, you can probably count them on one hand in my history of covering the Panthers, that I was either uncomfortable with or didn't think they were a good dude. And, and he's one of them. He was, he was out there. I mean, he, he traveled five degrees off the path the rest of the world travels. I don't know what it was about him, but he always struck me as, I mean, goalies are kind of odd to begin with, but I mean, he was even off that path. Uh, and the other thing you remember about him is in the postseason, he and Billy Pelton, of all people, who was just like the nicest guy, got arrested on South Beach because, uh, you know, Vernon, uh, or not Vernon, uh, Belfour went off on a, am I thinking of Belfour or Vernon? It's, it was Belfour. No, you're thinking of the right guy. It was Belfour. Yeah. 
uh, that went off on a cop or, or something like that and got thrown in uh, jail for disorderly conduct, um, which would, you know, it just sort of underlined his Panther career, his one-year Panther career for me. Yeah, they, that's kind of what they say was the end of his NHL career because he, was, he wasn't going to re-sign in Florida. They weren't sure where he was going to sign, and he ended up, I think, playing in, in Europe for a year or two after that. Um, yeah, he, he was a strange dude. I, I remember before he ever came to the Panthers hearing stories about Belfort needing like keys to the rink because he would show up at like two, three in the morning when nobody was around to like work on his equipment. And he was just an eccentric kind of crazy dude. Goalie to goalie, Ian, what was your, uh, what was your take on Belfort's uh, brief tenure with the Panthers? Well, I mean, he's an, he was an exciting guy to watch, if not for what he did in the crease, but his antics outside of it. Right. Of course. Um, it really, well, he had a great year that year. That was supposed to be Alex Ald's year. He had a good year. It's it's weird to think of the things like that's how many goalies have the Panthers had where it's a guy that's you know a Thomas Vokun, a Tim Thomas, a uh, Kevin Weeks. It's like these guys that are one off. They get you know they're there for a little bit of time and then they leave, or they had a great career before. It seems like Roberto Luongo is the only one. It's like yeah, he left and came back, but the only one that had a, a distinguished career with the Panthers. Uh, Eddie is, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you can't tell as many stories as you can about Eddie. I obviously wasn't covering the Panthers then, but it was cool to see a guy with his pedigree come here. And since learning about the intricacies or the uh, – I wonder what's a, what's a good word I'm looking for here. Idiosyncrasies. Thank you. The idiosyncrasies is the word I was looking for. Uh, I always hear people like preface that story with all goalies are a little weird. We are all a little weird. We're all off a little bit in the head. I like to think that, and David, I'll put you in this category as well. Cause I think I know you well enough. I don't think we're that weird. Uh, but the story on South beach is hilarious. Seeing him playing in a Panthers jersey, that was very cool. Same thing with the guys I said before. And Thomas, those guys, Bokun, seeing those guys in a Panthers jersey was very cool as a, as a kid growing up watching the Panthers being a goalie, especially here in South Florida. And you mentioned Tim Thomas, which is a name that, like, for, for just personal, like, goaltending reasons, he had a, a big influence on how I approached the game. Because at the time when he played for the Panthers, I was still – kind of a, a hot-headed, you know, little man complex goaltender that was always using a stick to beat people up and chasing guys behind the net because I knew my whole team would back me up because I'm the goalie. And then I saw Tim Thomas playing, a guy who, like, I always thought was a hothead as well. Like, he played for Boston. He was always quick to jump out of the crease. And every time they'd show a close-up of his face in that Panthers jersey, all you saw was a big, fat smile. I don't think I ever saw anybody – now, granted, he had the cage on, but he just enjoyed it so much. And he, he just seemed to love every second he was out there and, went, and playing well at the same time. So I saw that and I'm like, wow, maybe I can just go out there and, you know, mess around and have fun on the ice and chat up the refs and make jokes with my defensemen and still play well. And ever since then, hockey became like a much more fun experience for me just because like I, I saw what Tim Thomas was doing. So it's, it's cool that, uh, I don't know, I, it always kind of stuck with me from that. The most fun I've ever had playing a season of hockey was when I think I had just graduated high school. We were playing an in-house league with our, with our high school team. And I just decided I was going to play like Dominic Hasek. And I was just going to roll around the crease and dive after pucks. And when you're, when you're getting to, to 
just enjoy the game and you're not uh, you're not sitting around worried about every single shot that's coming at you, thinking that you're going to uh, thinking that you're going to ruin a game by missing a shot or you know like you said chasing guys around around the net having fun with the game and seeing I would say Dominic Hasek was a little bit intense but playing his style of game was a blast or at least trying to mimic it poorly yeah the first like time that I my dad gave me the green light to buy like a real good set of pads like not like street hockey Milex or something but like some real actual like NHL quality pads. The first ones I ever bought were the, the Hashik uh, TPS pads he wore at the end in Buffalo. Um, but so before we wrap things up shortly, guys, I wanted to bring up one other guy and just kind of get your take on, on his place in Panthers lore. And he's one of the original, one of the original guys from the nineties teams. Um, I think perhaps personifies what that team was all about. And I'm curious to get, Kevin and Frank, your take, if you think there's somebody else that maybe fits that mold a little bit more. But I'm talking about Scott Mellenby, because not only did he have no hesitations to get into the dirty areas and was certainly, you know, what may be considered a power forward if, you know, not lacking in the size area, but he also had some big scoring years. And I, I just growing up as a young teen in those times, I always remember he stood out to me as the guy, even when they brought in guys like Ray Shepard or had draft picks like Niedermeyer coming up, Jovanovski you know, the big names. But for me, Mellonby was always just like the guy that I always believed was like Mr. Panther. I totally agree. And, and obviously Scott Mellonby was a big part of that 96 team. And he started the whole rat revolution when he, he killed that rat before Calgary in the, uh, the opener, the home opener of that 96 season. And I believe he scored a goal uh, in that game. And, and look, that 96 team, I mentioned some of those other names earlier, you know, Ray Shepard and some others that were brought in. But, you know, it still was – Van Beesbrook, Mellenby, Rob Niedermeyer, like those were, you know, some of the big names on that team. And Mellenby was a, a great early player for the Panthers. And obviously the Panthers would not have been in the Stanley Cup without him. I mean, they probably wouldn't have been in the Stanley Cup with a lot of those guys. But I, I still think that he was one that uh, it's hard to talk about Florida Panthers history and not mention his name. It's impossible. You can't do it. And, uh, you know, he's probably – as far as, you know, if you ask Panther fans going back to 1993, name me five Panthers off the top of your head. And I'm not saying like guys on this team, but just going over the years, and Scott Melamy's going to be on that list just because of what he was able to do and one of their, I guess, early big scorers. I would agree wholeheartedly with that, Kevin. Mel's, like you said, was not only, you know, the rat trick guy who started that whole craze, but he was a productive player as you look at his numbers with the Panthers. I mean, he was one of their top scorers in the years he was here. And he was also an alternate captain. And I think that's a big thing from those teams, too, is the, the leadership in the room with Brian Scrudlin as the captain. Mellonby is an alternate. Uh, Gordon Murphy is an alternate. Uh, eventually, Niedemeyer got, got an A. But they had really good leadership in, in the room. But, you know, Mellonby was definitely one of the cornerstones of the franchise in the early years. And, and – has certainly helped helped build it into into uh, the franchise that it is, and he's remembered fondly by every fan who watched him back in, going back to those days. Every fan who was a fan in those days, and you know, has some age on him like I do. <laughs> yeah, I think my first Panthers hockey card was Scott Mellenby. So for it was just like the the roots were planted early on. 
And the last thing that guys, I wanted to get your take on here before we wrap up. And again, thank you for, for doing this guys. You know, let's have a little bit fun. And, and Ian, you can, you can lead us off. Well, give me uh, off the top of your head, which I know is going to suck for you. Uh, give me your, your Panthers Mount Rushmore. Okay. So Mel and B's got to be the number one on there. Um, so my question is, should we include the modern era guys or should we go with guys that have already left? That's what I've sort of been debating in the last couple minutes here. Is it fair to include Barkov without Huberto or Huberto without Barkov? Because uh, is one themselves without the other is my question. Um, I'm going to say Mellonby's on there. Probably Beezer is up there as well. Just from uh, my, that's my, my goalie instinct. Uh, and then I'll put probably Alexander Barkov will go up there as well. And I'm actually going to put a second goaltender up there, Roberto Longo, just because of the impact he's had on this, this area and, uh, and, uh, not only the team, but the, the community as well. So there, there are my four. I'll stick with it. Wow. It, you know, for the lack of overall success the team has had, this is still tough. And I think Ian's point is, is a good one. Uh, in that, to me, Barkoff and Huberdo are kind of linked together almost inextricably. Uh, but I've got to go with Luongo. Um, I, I agree, Mellonby. Even though he was here for a short period of time, I'm going to say Bure just because he still has the record easily for most goals in a season, and he brought – a real legitimacy to the franchise and a real uh, center of attention. The hockey universe would, you know, when he played the hockey universe would watch him. And, you know, the last one it's, I, I, I find it almost impossible to choose between Barkoff and, and Huberdo. So those would be my four plus. I'm going to cop <laughs> a bit on this one. Barkov is Huberdo's plus one or vice versa. Right. Right. All right, Kevin, go ahead, man. I mean, I'm not bringing anything new to the table, but I'm going to go with Van Beesbrook, Luongo, Bure, and a fourth one, which is kind of a surprise. He had a short playing career for, for what he's done with the Panthers. I'm going with Randy Moeller as number four in the Mount Rushmore. Oh, man. I got to. Yeah, R Randy's the man. There's the no denying that. He has, not so much as a player as otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going with Randy as number four. But I see your point. <laughs> Well, if I had to give my Mount Rushmore, uh, it, Luongo's definitely on there. Scott Mellonby is definitely on there. I think if I had to choose right now, I, I wouldn't put both Barkov and Huberto up there. For me, it's uh, I lean a little bit more towards Huberto. He's been here a little bit longer. He's starting to establish Panther scoring records and uh, just, you know, like, all-around good guy. Like, I like interacting with him. And there's nothing wrong with Barkov at all. Like, you know, as we said before, like, he's a little bit of a quieter guy. But I think I, I, right now I'd lean towards Huberto being that guy. And then for the fourth one, it's hard for me to choose between uh, either my favorite growing up goalie of Van Beesbrook or a name that hasn't really been mentioned but had a couple pretty substantial years with the Panthers that happened to be substantial on a grander scale, and that's Yarmir Yager. Uh, he came to Florida. Obviously, he already had his career accolades well in place, but uh, he reached a few pretty big milestones with Florida and was part of a really good team. That 15-16 uh, team that ended up winning 12 games in a row and was scoring like crazy, uh, that, that was a fun year. So 
Uh, I guess uh, I'm going to cop out a little bit with a plus one as well, but, but it, it's just fun, fun to go through this and kind of go through the history, which is where I thought this conversation would take us. So uh, thank you guys again for, for doing this. And uh, anybody have any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Yeah, just real quick. Uh, uh, again, thanks for inviting me to do this. I think we all see the passion and that we have for the game. And I know there's a lot of fans out there that do have the same passion. There may not be a hundred thousand of them, but there's that core group. And I, I, I really hope that this franchise gets on the right path and rewards those fans and makes new ones because we've seen in the playoffs throughout the years that South Florida will come out uh, when a team is successful. And, and as hockey fan, a hockey fan and the same as you guys are, I just really hope that that happens. So I just want to thank you for doing this. I think it was a ton of fun. Uh, just quickly, when, you know, with you're talking about Yager, I think what is special about what he did was think about how much he meant to the development of Barkov and Huberto too, mm -hmm. to see what those guys were able to glean off of him. Um, so I think that was, it was a good choice on your part. Um, but I did want to ask, and because I, I was doing, I, I was doing, whenever I do this kind of thing, I always get nerdy and I start doing research on things like hockeyreference.com. Who, if I had to, I'm going to give you guys a list of, now plus minus is a wonky stat. I understand that, especially for guys that are still playing currently. But in terms of their time with the Panthers, plus minus who do you think has the highest plus minus? And I'm going to give you number one is Martin Jelena. Tied for second is Alexander Barkov and Yarmir Yager. Who do you think comes after Alexander Barkov and Yarmir Yager? And I'll tell you, it's not Aaron Ekblad. He's next. And it is not Jonathan Huberto. No one is going to guess this. Brian Campbell. Nope. <laughs> um, could it be who Frank was talking about earlier? Svela? No. He's actually, I was surprised he's not on the list. Frank, you got a guess? Uh, yeah, this is a totally, I, I have no clue. So I'm going to go totally off the wall and say Johan Garpenloff. Paul Laws. There you go. <laughs> Third best plus minus. See, I mentioned him earlier, but not in this, in this wow. regard. So when you said, is it who Frank was talking about earlier? I thought you were going to somehow get that. But no, it, Paul Laws has a, a plus 31 career with the Florida Panthers. Who, who would have guessed that? Yeah. You know, the thing is, everybody remembers him as a fighter, but he was a regular shift defenseman. He wasn't one of those guys that they threw out there, you know, once or twice a period and say, you know, hey, go settle this. He was a regular shift defenseman. He, he played, you know, 16, 18 minutes, whatever it was uh, back in the day. He was one of their regular six. Absolutely. You had to be a tough dude to be the enforcer on those Panther teams because there was a lot of guys that had no problem throwing their weight around. And he was by far, like, it was the guy that you did not want to mess with. Hey, just a real quick story about him. Paul actually got along with a lot of the guys that he fought against. Uh, you know, they actually, he and, uh, there was a guy from New Jersey, I remember one time after a game, they met in the, uh, the area between the locker rooms at the BB&T Center, and they were talking about family. He fought him during the game, and they were talking about family and whatnot. But there was a guy on, on Tampa named Rudy Poshuk in the early days that laws just absolutely couldn't stand. And a guy who was a penalty box attendant told me this story. They went in for fighting. And of course you can't come out until the stoppage after the five minutes. So he opens the door for laws to come out 
And as Laws and Peshik are going back on the ice, Laws turns to the attendant and says, keep it open. We'll be right back. That's awesome. <laughs> and, he, and he went out and fought him again. <laughs> it's funny. To, we, I actually spoke with um, the current Panthers PA announcer, Andrew Ember, on a, a few podcasts ago and asked him about, like, you know, do you hear guys screaming at each other uh, from the penalty boxes? And he told me that most of the time when it comes to the fights, when they're talking to each other and we're not sure what they're saying, they're actually, like, exchanging pleasantries, fight tips, like a, a veteran will be like, oh, maybe you shouldn't duck your head here, or tuck your arm there. So that was one thing I thought was really cool that like, even though these guys are out, like it's still, you know, they're still doing their job. So even when they're beating the crap out of each other and trying to flatten each other's noses, like they're still just like, all right, that was a good one, man. I'll see you next time. Yeah. It's not often that it gets to that personal level. There really is a code that's adhered to. Yeah. Well, guys, I'm going to wrap it up here, but uh, thank you all so much. Frank Fort, Kevin Rogers, Ian Margle. Thanks for doing this. I, I, I hope you guys had fun doing it. I hope people have fun listening to it. I thought it was pretty cool to do. Um, and that's going to do it for the uh, latest Chirping the Cats episode. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Please subscribe. Let me know what you think. You can reach me on Twitter at David's Work, and we will be back with another episode soon enough. So everybody stay home, stay safe, and uh, take care.